You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Brett Blankner with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey, this episode's actually really special. We have an interview with professional triathlete Jordan Rapp, also known as Rap Star. He has won many, many races in his career. And actually, we would take up the whole show probably listing off his results. But uh, standout races include Ironman New York, Ironman Texas. And he is just an all-around fantastic triathlete, long-distance guy that's great to talk to. But we have more. He was having some trouble racing recently, and he got back with his old coach. And then he turned around, after a few months of training, turned around and set a PR at... Ironman Arizona just a couple of weekends ago with an 8.03. That's eight hours and three minutes for the uh, for the end result of his race and then also set the bike course record, which is amazing. So it's fantastic to have Jordan on the show to talk about what he's been doing lately. But like I said, we have more. We are really lucky to have both Jordan and his coach, Joel Filiol on the show at the same time. I got them both on Skype. Jordan is in LA. Joel was in the UK. And Joel was the head coach for the Canadian and British national teams. This is one of the industry's super coaches. And it is fantastic to have him with one of his star athletes on the same show so they get to talk about how they how they work with each other. And this is a real treat. So I'm really proud to bring this to you. They talk for an hour about great training methods, about using consistency, repetition, and steady improvement over time. And I have them both go through what is each of their own ideal training day. And then after the interview, we do the latest triathlon news and I bring you some of my own training tips, productivity, and gear advice. Without further ado, let's get going with Jordan and Joel. Here we go. Joel was asking where I lived, and I was telling him in, um, in Texas. But in Texas, everybody drives forever and doesn't think much of it. So when I say I live near Austin, that's still like two hours from Austin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Florida is the same that way. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I have a friend lives a long time Florida resident and he was like I was going to be in Florida he's like I'll come visit you and I was like Ben you live in Naples so it was like four hours away and he's like it's no big deal oh it's no big deal yeah <laughs> it's it's madness if you, if you think about it yes all right well let's kick off by introducing Jordan Rapp how's it going man good how are you great and Joel Filiol. I had to practice saying your last name a few times, so I got it right. <laughs> you, you did, Brett. Did I get it right? What kind of what kind of name is that? What's your heritage? Uh, it's French. My grandfather's from France. Oh, okay. Did I, and I had it? Filiol? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm proud of myself for a moment there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Joel, you're in 
Well, I saw online you've tweeted recently a lot. I think from Lanzarote, but Lanzarote, I, w I was, but not, now I'm home in Glasgow in UK. Okay, all right. And Jordan, you're up in up and over in uh, in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, outside of Los Angeles. Okay, so uh, Jordan had a kick butt race the other day. Ironman Arizona with an 8:03 overall finishing time and a, a new bike split record, I think, is what everybody's talking about for Arizona. And uh, following Jordan, um, I've been a I've been a student of Jordan because I went to an engineering school as well, <laughs> <laughs> and. I I believe in in his methods uh, so much that it's really cool to watch him race and then be able to um, occasionally try to squeeze in a question and uh, get Jordan to reply. And um, but uh, Jordan was kind of Jordan following you. You've been it looks like you were struggling for a while to try to get back on on center again with your training and racing, and then. Um, you just had this fantastic race, which uh, I'm so excited for because it looks like you're really doing really well. And um, you got third at Arizona, but I think that was your your fastest time at that race ever and also under really tough conditions. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't have expected if you told me at the end of the year that I'd go 803 that I would be third at that race. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, it's... Uh, I think it's funny because it's sort of like reconciling coming third with an 803 with sort of the ever-present thread on slow twitch of why aren't today's pros faster than like Mark Allen, Dave Scott, etc. Oh. And it's like, well, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, the, the original, I think the original, the course has changed a little bit. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but I mean, I think the original course record there was uh, something like 820 or, or so, like 819. Right. And I'm, it's gotten a bit faster since then, and, you know, and then they moved it, obviously, from April no to November, which changed the conditions a lot. But, I mean, you know, I set the course record there in 2009 at a 813, mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, it's like, wow, okay, I went 10 minutes faster than my course when I set the course record, and I came third. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a good way to end the season. I mean, I think that uh, I struggled longer than I should have because I waited longer. I sort of lost a year. Like I first started, I think, make, thinking about like I actually wrote to Joel, and this is, I don't know if this is sort of I should say this and you know maybe not say this, but it's like I wrote to Joel in May of 2013 after that disastrous race in St. George because I was sort of thinking, oh, you know, I feel like I need to make a change. Uh, uh huh. But then, you know, I mean, it was that was even more in the middle of the season. And it's like, you know, I just had a lot going on. And I, I didn't make that change. And I waited until March of 2014. And, I mean, in between, you know, those dates, you know, I, I had a good race in Arizona again last November, November 2013. But other than that, I mean, most of what happened between May 2013 and March 2014 was, was pretty much a write-off. And, uh I guess this, I'll just say better late than never was sort of uh, is what I'll I'll fall back on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and Joel, um, so you were the coach for the Canadian and then the the British was it, is it the national team or the Olympic team or or what was it? Yeah, the the national federation like uh, okay. British triathlon is the same as triathlon Canada, which is similar to USA triathlon. Now, yeah, that and for what what time span? Like how many years? Um, 
I, I moved over uh, after Beijing uh, in uh, to the UK, um, and I stayed two years. Uh, and it turned out that it wasn't really the the job I wanted to do, um, but I uh, I stayed here, <laughs> still living here in the UK. In any okay. case, <laughs> so um, uh, Jordan, when you found well, Joel, were you kind of unavailable for a while for for Jordan the coach to be coached by you? And and Jordan, when you wrote to him to try to win him back <laughs> was it uh was it was it more i'm asking like was it more of like a scheduling conflict between you two and and like what joel was having to do with his coaching or or what so at the end of two joel and i were at camp and we were at a camp in maui at the beginning of 2009 uh -huh. and he i think got the offer from great britain around that time so like the Canadians are very typically Canadian, right? It's like, you know, uh, very kind of casual. And I mean, certainly to have Simon's influence there, like, I think that would people, would Triathlon Canada have been willing to let Joel coach me if Simon hadn't been there? Probably not. Like, I think Simon sort of said, you know, it's fine. Like, yeah, there's no conflict. Um, but then, you know, Great Britain obviously is is much more like business like and Joel can talk about it. it's like you know it's like a nine to five job and people wear suits to work and it's like very professional I mean he sort of ha after the interview was like yeah clearly this is not going to be the same as triathlon Canada in terms of them being like oh yeah you can sort of you can coach our national team but then you can also sort of coach this crazy American I mean it was going to be right a hundred percent of his attention you know was going to be focused on the Great Britain team. And so, you know, he knew that. And so we were in Maui and he sort of decided to take the job. And I thought it was a huge opportunity for him and I wanted him to take the job. And then we sort of sat down and had a talk about, you know, who would be an uh, appropriate fit, but it wasn't at all like, Oh, you know, things aren't working out between us. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd finished the year, you know, I'd had two podiums at Ironman and I felt really good about everything. And, yeah. um, you know, but it was a great opportunity for Joel and it, you know, it meant that we had to do something else. And it was interesting. I mean, Michael Kruger, who coached me for five years, you know, 2009 through mm -hmm. sort of the start of this year, that was Joel's suggestion. Joel was the one who mm -hmm. said, I think Michael Kruger would be a good fit and turned out obviously to be a very good fit. And then, uh, ultimately I think after sort of five years, uh, what I sort of say is that like, so in some ways, Michael and I had kind of instantaneous success. Like, I think it was like, I was ready to break through and you know, I think your body responds well to change, and Michael changed a little bit of things. And you know, not it's not like oh, this was some sort of you know training revelation. I mean, it right. made small changes, and you know, I, I think I had two great, I had some great races in two thousand and nine, and sort of broke through. Um, and uh, yeah, you had some really great results in in two thousand nine. Yeah, and yeah. Then it, like you know, and then sort of our our setback, you know, was like I got hit by the car, and I mean, coming back from that. In a lot of ways, that was pretty straightforward, though, right? It's like, you know, I had kind of, you know, it was a clear injury, right? It's like breaking your leg or something like right. that. I feel like that's, in some ways, easier to come back from because it's sort of like, you know, you really sort of like, I mean, like literally starting from scratch, right? Like when I started running again, I started running in like eight-minute chunks, right? Yeah. So um, that's, it was, I think that was pretty clear. And so it was like, then I came back from that and had a, I mean, pretty good race in Arizona and then came back in 2011 and won a lot of races and won a lot of races in 2012. And I mean, really didn't have much, uh, kind of, of a, any sort of real sort of that training setback where it was like, I just, my body stopped responding until I just sort of wrote too many checks, you know, doing five, eight hour races. 
Ironman Texas, uh, Ironman New York City, the Leadman race, Kona, and then Ironman Melbourne, all within 10 months. Right. And then that sort of block of, you know, two months where I did New York City, Leadman, Kona, you know, and then didn't even really take a break after that because I was getting ready for Melbourne. And it was just like, I paid the price price for that in a big way. And I think that was when that was a real setback because all of a sudden it was like, I just, I didn't respond to training in the way that I had. And that was such a huge change from anything that we had encountered before that I think we both sort of struggled with how to kind of resolve that, right? Like it was something new and different, um, you know, and after sort of four years basically of doing things a certain way, it's hard to just sort of say, well, you know, we'll just sort of change everything. I mean, like we didn't talk a whole lot, mostly because it was sort of like, basically like, I mean, it sounds almost crazy. It's like he sort of wrote this schedule and I would do the schedule and check in maybe like once a month. And I basically won almost every long course race I did. Yeah. Um, and it, it, looking back, it's sort of baffling. But then how do you how do you change from that when all of a sudden it's like, you know, day to day, I feel like, you know, I would go months feeling like without having a bad day in training and then to go where it was like I was having more bad days than good days, you know, and then especially on the race course, how do you, how do you kind of change your relationship? Uh, I think that's, you know, it's hard. I mean, I rem I think sort of one of the stories, it's a bit of an odd analogy, I guess, in some ways, but reading Lance Armstrong's biography where he had this, this woman that he was dating, his girlfriend, who sort of nursed him back, you know, to health from cancer. <laughs> Uh, of course, this is clearly the woman he's going to marry, right? And then as, yeah. as soon as he's healthy, they break up. And, you know, he said in the book, and I thought it was fair, that essentially their relationship was predicated entirely around him being sick. Yeah. Um, and I guess sort of, you know, with Michael and I, it was like our relationship was essentially predicated around, basically, I did the training and we didn't, you know, we didn't talk very much. And then right. uh, once that stopped working, I didn't, you know, it was just, we tried, I think I tried a little bit over 2013. Uh, to change it and Michael tried certainly as well but it, it's hard to change who you are and it's hard to change the fundamentals of a relationship and I think uh, you know I sort of wanted it to, to work and I think that's why I waited so long like I mean it's, it's hard to say like yeah I mean I won basically every race I ever did you know with you and then I have this sort of you know for a couple months I feel like I'm really struggling so let's just call it quits. It, that didn't seem right, even though looking back, I think it clearly was right. You know, once the sort of wheels came off, they came off. Right. But I think, you know, when I thought about, okay, well, how do I get things kind of back on track? You know, I realized that sort of now to kind of make it to that, you know, next, not only to make it to the next level, you know, but even to sort of get back that I needed someone that was, I guess, sort of more of a, of like a, a friend, someone that I, I was more comfortable talking to, that really there was a relationship that was predicated around communication, you know, that that was the most important thing. And I mean, the only person that, I mean, Joel and I, we lived together for almost six months and I mean, I've spent so much time one-on-one, -on -one. you know, I mean, we, even when I was, when he was in Great Britain, I mean, we still talked a lot. And so it was like, that was, it seemed so logical. And uh, thankfully he was, uh, he was willing and able. So, so Joel, when Jordan got back in touch with you and you you had the opportunity to start coaching him again, how do you I'm I'm interested from the coaching perspective, how do you assess where Jordan is and then put him back on the Joel program? 
Yeah, I mean, first, first of all, you, you, as you know, and if you follow Jordan, you can you see that he's very thoughtfully. You know, he puts a lot out in the in the public domain. So the first right. thing I do is read everything uh, again that that he's put out there. But but really, you know, it's it's similar to starting with any athlete. Uh, we establish sort of the basic parameters and then get started and look at the feedback of what's happening. And um, it's a re- really simple approach. But there's nothing like just getting stuck in it and then seeing what happens. How is he responding? Uh, is he is he recovering as we expect? Is he absorbing the work as we expect? Is he able to achieve what uh, we think he ought to be able to achieve? And uh, what what sort of feedback is coming back? So it was a little bit of background, but then basically getting stuck in. And as he said, it was also the time of year, um, kind of March. We you know we had races on the horizon. We 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 didn't we didn't start in the off season where we could sort of ease into it. Um, it, it we had a we had uh, Ironman Texas in I think basically two months and and uh, he was in a certain place already in his prep. So so basically we just got stuck in and uh, and uh, got going. So <laughs> he um, Jordan. It sounds like he was probably overtired. Like you were saying, a, a really. Uh, a really good way to describe it is having more kind of off days than on when really you should have lots of on days. And then the I could see like having the occasional off day, right? And because you make a mistake kind of here and there and and a reflection of being in a good place and, and good training would be having more on days than off. Do you Do you feel like Jordan was just overtired from racing too much? And that he needed just uh, your your coaching. I want to get to it in a second. You're a lot of, just like Jordan, and you can actually learn a lot about Jordan by following because he posts and, and writes a lot. Um, a lot of how you coach is actually online. I don't know if you've ever Googled yourself, <laughs> but Sorry not too too often. Not, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> but I I did some googling uh, about you and your coaching methods, and actually, um, there's there's enough out there where you can kind of piece together some sort of a, a methodology, I think. I wanted to ask you about in a minute. But did you um, did you think that Jordan was just mostly tired and and um, needed, um, you know, 50% more rest days and let's kind of start from and scratch and build up from what he can do well and then add on top of that? Because in your coaching descriptions, sometimes I see you say, you know, you start off and then you just keep layering on more and more work once you know the person can handle it. Mm. You know, and, and it, it was interesting initially because um, uh, he really responded very, very well, and he had a lot of great sessions. And it wasn't until later, and may, maybe in our Ironman Texas uh, debrief, that we realized sort of that that foundation, the you know, the endurance foundation that he had built up over years, what was perhaps eroded, and and the sort of the initial. Um, enthusiasm excitement of the change some doing some different things he really responded well to and mm-hmm. i remember at the time some of the training was the best he'd ever done and this was uh, you know fairly soon into the relationship uh, and, and into that training period so it wasn't initially that well it's clear that he can't he couldn't handle it uh, over time it, it it was more clear that um we needed to rebuild and and we needed to to have that that strength and endurance foundation that underpins good training um, and uh, to use an analogy, fill, fill the bucket back up with water. It was continually draining, draining all the time. And we were seeing that through through good sessions, but we were missing that that foundation. And I really think that was a theme throughout the year. 
And um, that probably manifested itself most in, in how he responded or didn't respond as we tried to taper down into Texas. And, and we, just, we just weren't able to get it quite right. And although the performance wasn't bad, it didn't really reflect what we, the quality that we had seen in that, in that mm -hmm. two-month period. And then in that, in, an, in that analysis, we could see then that you know, this was going to take a bit of time to rebuild and we had to be patient and, um, you know, and, and fill, fill up those reserves again. And then that's really what we set out about doing the rest of the season. So you have a really good blog post from 2012 about swimming. And I come right. from a swimming background, a really intense <laughs> swimming background. And I was on swim team at a military school, so you can imagine how right. strict that right. was and how much they pushed you. Uh, a Marine Corps military school. So the um, I, I pulled out, I think it's four of quotes that I just loved, um, or four items. Uh, one is conditioning trumps drills. Uh, <laughs> technique matters, but the way most athletes try to improve technique doesn't work. Um, you need to just get fitter overall with aerobic conditioning in the upper body. Now I'm, I'm kind of shortening it here. Um, but uh, if you are, if you think you're already swimming a lot, but not improving, swim more <laughs> and keep at it. There are no shortcuts yet. What do you, do you still stand by that one? Uh, it sounds like you do. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, for for sure. I mean, uh, for for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, get into motor learning and skill acquisition, but but also, you know, just perspective on um, on uh, what endurance sport is about and what repetition is it about. Uh, Jordan mentioned slow twitch the other day, and I was, I was happening to 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 look through, and I saw a, a thread on. You know, how can you improve swimming without really swimming a lot? And I oh, thought, I saw that what, one. Yeah. <laughs> thought, what what an unusual question. You know, it's, yeah. how how can you how can you improve something if if you're not really committed to to yeah. improving it? And um, you know, I think you know, particularly with triathlon, it, it, it's technique under under stress. Being able to to be efficient to move well under load is is how I look for for that quality and. Um, you know that that seems to be uh, time tested and always never goes out of style. That it, you have another one. Uh, traditional traditional drills don't work. The type of drills and the way that most triathletes do them don't actually have any material effect on swimming technique. Why don't they? Uh, I think for, first of all, the the group of uh, athletes that are, they're often doing triathlon are attracted to it. Uh, perhaps don't have the same motor learning skills or proprioception as um, as, as athletes that have more uh, skills or you know maybe coming from a, a ball sport background or coordination. It's just, so perhaps it's a self-selecting group that uh, that you know they just they don't have those skill set and and you try to uh, tell them what to do with their arms and legs and and they just don't have that sense of where their arms and legs actually are and. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and add that on top of how much contact time they can have, how, how you know, when they're going to see a coach, is it, you know, if they're doing any technical work, how often is it? If, if it's every day, then you might have a chance of success. But but even then, many athletes just, they don't learn that way. And, and they've already got such a, a motor pattern built in that I think they don't have a, a great perspective on the amount of repetition of good motor patterns it's going to take to to fix that, and uh, and finally, what what is different about triathlon in particular, uh, long distance with the amount of time uh, that you spend cycling and running, and and you get that fatigue that carries over into the water, and that makes it more difficult to 
to be technically engaged and to and to indeed have good good technique and so you've got to use different tools to 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 bed in good technique without having to really think about it without having to be super engaged with it which uh, which is tiring and and again which not everyone responds to so that's why we use some of those drag tools to sort of take take the brain out of it take take the thinking out of it and and um, you know power through the water and 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 via repetition you you learn how to do that more effectively yeah that's true Ahead, I also, like some, you know, tying in like what Joel was saying about ball sports is like, like I mean, I actually played quite a lot of ball sports. I was quite good. I mean, uh, I was a, uh, I mean, recruited to play two of them. I mean, lacrosse and squash, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I came from, right? But the difference, I think, the big one for me, like having done those sports for a long time, is that like there is an obvious immediate feedback when you do something correctly, right? Like let's say, you know, you're trying to, you know, like tennis or squash, something right. like that, where you're, you're like, I know if I'm trying to hit, like, a drop shot, if a drop shot doesn't drop, then I didn't do it correctly, right? Whereas right. it's like, you don't have that same immediate feedback when, you know, like, when you're swimming. And I think, like, a lot of, I mean, from my perspective, like, the huge thing with, like, the drag tools, I mean, especially, I remember the first time ever, you know, like, I think whatever, what, 2005, when Joel was like, you need to swim with the ankle band on. And, like, mm-hmm. I literally, like, I made it halfway across a 25-yard pool, and then I had to stop and stand up because, like, you know, I just, you know, and it's one of those things where the feedback is immediate and obvious, right? Like, if your legs drop, then you are doing it incorrectly. So it, it sort of brings it back to that kind of ball sport mentality of you have something that is very objective to shoot for, right? Like, I just don't want to drown being sort of at the at the most primal level, like when you first stick a band on someone like, right. please let me just not die, um, <laughs> is a worthwhile goal, obviously. But, uh, you know, after that, you know, it's it's easy. If your legs are at the surface, then you're doing it right. And it, it's so simple in that way. And I think swimming is so complicated, um, you know, with all of this this other stuff. Like, I have no idea if my hands are at, are at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, but I do know if my legs are, you know, basically dragging on the bottom of the pool or not. Right. They, um, like with baseball, if, if you do it wrong, there's a trying to hit the ball with the, with the bat, you immediately know that you're doing it wrong. It's immediate response. And so I guess what y'all are saying is like with the uh, hand paddles, if you put on hand paddles and then try to swim, if your hand doesn't enter the water correctly, you'll immediately know it'll, make your hands forced to be veered off to the side and do all kinds of crazy things mm. to, to, so that you learn over time to straighten out your hands as you enter. Yeah. Me. I mean, there's some of that. I mean, paddles are great because they do that too, right? Like it's like, if you yeah. don't, enter, if you don't enter well, it's, it becomes then harder to grab the water. But at the same time, if you, if you're sort of within the ballpark, you know, then they help you to catch, you know, they sort of put you in a good position for catching the water and make it really easy to feel the load and all that kind of thing. I mean, paddles are great. I mean, basically like the majority of our the swim training is basically like, you know, I use paddles and I use a pull buoy and I use a band, um, mm-hmm. you know, and basically we shuffle those in some, you know, variation, sometimes band only, sometimes, you know, pull buoy in the band, sometimes paddles only, sometimes all mm-hmm. three and like that's basically it right that's that's kind of all it takes and it's like you need something to give you more drag and you need something that helps you set your hands up properly and then you just need to swim a lot right and then the more you swim the more the better feel you get for the water for catching but then like you were saying it's hard to tell if you're just swimming uh because you are making forward progress you 
you, it's hard and there's but there's no real way to tell how fast you're going at the moment you can't really tell you don't have that same feedback as like trying to take a swing at a ball with a bat and then missing you can with swimming you can kind of do it okay and then you just don't ever know unless yeah, you use the right tool you know like i mean that's for me the huge advantage of the band is like if you have one bad stroke like you notice how much more that you i mean you you know the drag is so much higher or something like a parachute you know is mm -hmm. another another good tool right like when the drag is that high you slow down so fast that you get immediate feedback whereas like you know i think of like a, a, the classic traditional drill that like you see people doing is like you know like swim golf or something right where it's like i'm going to try and take you know long i got to max you know maximize my stroke length but it's mm -hmm. like you don't actually like there is no sort of there's nothing that you can feel that really tells you whether or not like one stroke is longer than the next and you don't really know like i mean kind of and unless you're good at like say counting the, the hashes on the lane line whether or not like <laughs> one stroke was longer than the previous and yeah. it was because you kicked more you know did you actually like achieve anything right and it's like right. i think that's sort of what joel is saying right it's, how do you know like or i mean like you know the sort of you know body balance drills where you're kind of kicking on your side like how do you actually know if you're sort of like are you really sideways in the water and sort of reducing your drag or are you just basically like kind of sticking your head down and achieving nothing so joel you one of your number 16 on your on your blog post is if you need to write your swim session down on a whiteboard or paper it's too complicated keep it simple <laughs> what's an so what's an example of one of your I we can get lots of examples of crazy swim workouts, um, but then uh, what's an example of one of yours? Sure, sure. I, I like that rule. I, I have to make sure I adhere to it. Um, there's <laughs> yeah. so much. There's so much fluff in uh, in in so much master swimming, uh, you know. And uh, in you know, an example would simply, you know, I think of a set that uh, I think Jordan liked. Uh, you know, uh, we're a main set of twenty two hundreds, and um, we might warm up with six hundred or eight hundred uh, choice, and uh, maybe two hundred cool down. So the vast majority of it is that twenty two hundreds, and we'll split that up. We'll, as Jordan said, we'll you know we do some swim, do some pull, per maybe do a progression of um, uh, of speed across fives. You know, build each five. Uh, but but really simple, and you can remember that, and it's to the point, and uh, it gets the job done. Uh, you know, or another set that we that we did a lot, we repeated a lot was was three rounds of ten one hundreds band only. Um, that was that's the majority of the workout. You you got a bit of warm up to loosen the shoulders up, and and we almost always have only two hundred cool down because what's the point of doing any more than that? Might as well make the main set longer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, re really simple stuff. You know. Um, uh, we can have variety within that, but but again, it's there's got to be a certain acceptance of uh, you know repetition is what what gives you that feedback. You know, we were just talking, and you guys were talking in the previous um, bit about um, we, where do you get that feedback? How do you know? And I would say you're not going to get an epiphany stroke to stroke, but over time you can see these patterns, and when you repeat the same type of work, you become clued into right. Am I swimming this better today? And I, and I know Jordan felt that you know week to week sometimes you'd just be have almost like a mini breakthrough in some of those sets where it would suddenly be easier. And you add enough of those, you know, it's easier. Now it's more comfortable to do, you know, if we if we were doing the, the 100 bend only and we started on, you know, one, 135 and, and now it's getting really easy. Now we can drop it down to 130 and you can you get a sense of that over time, you know, and I think that's. That's what I'd say to to many triathletes. It, it, you're more likely, and if you look for that kind of improvement, 
um, you, you, you know, that that's where we see it. That's where I see it. It's not necessarily going into the pool and, and suddenly, you know, a light bulb goes off and, and now everything is going to be easier. It, it's much more involved in long term uh, commitment to, to see it through. Right. That's your your num your last one that I pulled out of there was number twenty one. Is I think you added it later. <laughs> you went back and you said, "Hey, by the way, repetition is your friend. Uh, variety is for the weak minded." I love that, and um, and I agree with um, repetition. You can see a like you were saying. You can see a pattern, and you can when you keep one thing constant or most things constant, you can. That allows you to change something and and see, like say you change your fueling a little bit. Well, how would you know if you keep doing different kinds of workouts, right? Because you can't compare one to the other to see what actually improved or not. In, indeed, I mean it's. I, I don't remember why at the time that I added that, but you know I'm occasionally accused of the the athletes I work with now of not being creative enough. But I always come back to this, you know, uh, uh, don't don't deviate from from the tried and true. There's there's a reason why uh, that particular article resonated with with so many people. I mean it is yeah. sort of perhaps counter to the conventional wisdom to some degree. But then, uh, you know, so many people tell me, oh, you know, that, that really resonated with me. Uh, you know, I'm able to apply, apply some of those things. Uh, just being in, in Lanzarote, uh, Bella Bayless was coaching out there. And, uh, and, and she, she mentioned this, this blog post as well, which, which, was, uh, which is interesting and, and fits with her history as well. And saying, yeah, yeah, that, you know, that, that's the way that I uh, apply for, for my swim coaching as well. So when you... Uh... Yeah, Okay. I think it's funny because that's a it's a classic one because when Joel when we were training with Simon Simon is like he loves new like he loves to go exploring and it would drive me crazy and I would always like complain to Joel because like <laughs> I hate like I like the I hate I mean I think some of it's coming from rowing right where it's like rowing is essentially like the ultimate in like creativity for the weak minded right? right like there is nothing I mean you know, even, you know, in college, basically, it was like the variety was, are we rowing inside, uh, you know, um, or are we rowing on the same three mile stretch of lake, right? And then other than that, the only variety is sort of whatever the workout was, right? It was the scenery really never changed. Right. And then it's you know, the guy winter, in front of you. In the winter, it really changed, right? When you're just sitting on the machine. But I mean, I love that. It's like, if people come, like, and they look at my training log, it's like, I basically like, I have like, three, I really I have I have two routes for running. Um, like if the running matters, like, I mean, if I'm just sort of going for an easy run, then yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, today I'll run this route or this route. I mean, I have a sort of a handful, but basically like if I'm doing anything that matters, I mean, like there's a, it's a 2k, it's actually 2060 meters. If you want to be really precise mm -hmm. around the California Lutheran university. And it's like, I do bit, I do a hundred percent of my tempo runs there because how would I know if I'm actually like sort of, you know, getting kind of better and, fitter and all of that or was it just like the, the, the terrain was helping like conditions you know it's like i know what the wind is i know if it's a south wind what that feels like i know if it's a north wind what that feels like and it's it's really i mean it's an easy way to just benchmark and make sure that, that you're running well you know or riding you know, riding is less important i think now with the advent of power meters but especially like for running you know um and i think that sort of thing it, it is it is hard you know um, and even, I mean, with swimming a little bit, sometimes it can be like there are fast pools, right? Yeah. You know, a couple seconds, a hundred is a big difference. So it's, you know, um, I think that there's, there's value in sort of minimizing the variables so that you don't, you don't get that false confidence. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, 
maintaining consistency allows you to still the waters a little bit so you can actually see what makes waves when you make a change or if something's working or not. All right, let's take a little bit of a break here and talk about one of the show sponsors, Amphipod Multisport in Libertyville, Illinois, just a bit north of Chicago. Hey, the weather up north sucks right now. Go to Amphibian Multisport and get indoors. They have indoor training facilities. It's a full triathlon shop. I used to live in the Chicago area, and I was very lucky. I lived there in the summer. It is a fantastic place to live. You guys have the best sporting environment that I've ever seen in any city in the United States. It's just a wonderful place, and you have this wonderful triathlon shop, Amphibian Multisport actually.com. You can go check them out online. Go check them out. It's a full-fledged, full triathlon shop. They've got a training club. they got training rooms with all the bikes networked together, and they have a, a two-lane lap pool. I think it's a saltwater pool inside. If I was in Chicago right now, this is where I'd be parked every weekend. So go hit them up and tell them that Brett at Zen in the Art of Triathlon sent you. All right, let's get back to the interview with Joel and Jordan. So there's a, there's a picture, uh, Joel, I think that's on your blog of, uh, Heli Fredrickson on mm -hmm. the treadmill with, um, a towel over the numbers. <laughs> and you said, Oh, it looks like she's having a, a good day or something like that. I don't know. It's hard not to look at Heli too much. <laughs> look at the treadmill I, I think... instead. So th what's going on there? So when, when, is that for all your athletes or just her when you want to cover up some numbers so that they just go by feel and just go out there and kill it when they're having a good day or what? You know, it's a tough session when, when you, you, when you, you're tempted to cover up the, uh, the, the yeah. numbers so you're not staring at them. And, uh, uh where, where she, where Hela trains in, in Lanzarote, uh, we, we, we do a fair bit of treadmill, uh, sessions for, yeah. uh, cause it's very, very windy. So sometimes, uh, it's more predictable to, to just get on get on the, the the treadmill and 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 bang out a session and we do some fairly long ones you know up to 60 minutes um and uh, she she likes to put uh, co cover it up i mean uh you know, it, it's perhaps makes it um, on one hand mentally easier and one hand mentally tougher. But she's remarkably good at at seeing at knowing roughly when the time is up. In any case, you know, she'll check with you know one minute to go, and I'm standing there watching. And I was like, how did she know it was one minute to go? But she's tuned in enough. But I suppose it's a coping strategy. You know, on the treadmill, you're you're not in control of the of the of the pace, uh, or in a sense, you know, it, you just you run with the treadmill, and um, yeah. it can be mentally very very tough for some athletes. So I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a coping strategy. So Jordan, do you do you train? I, uh, Sebastian was quoted after uh, Kona saying he doesn't really train with a power meter so much because he he found himself chasing the numbers and then not getting his great workouts. Do you, do you look to hit numbers or do you kind of go more by feel and then kind of look at the numbers afterwards to, to see how you're doing or, or what? Uh, I think the more, the more time that I've spent using a power meter, the, the less reliant I am on it. And I think the same, like the same with GPS. Like, I mean, I am sort of the total opposite. Like I could never cover the numbers. Like, I mean, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, I have, I have essentially every bike ride that I have ever done, um, logged somewhere. Right. Um, 
you know, unless sort of like, I mean, there's like, it, it, it actually like, I mean, it bothers me a great deal. Like, uh, I had one where I some, somehow my, my Garmin, like it didn't shut down or something. And I forgot to, you know, I, uh, you know, I sort of flubbed and, and didn't charge it. Or I, you know, I saw, like, I think it was like, it was, I thought it was like, it was at 5%, but the numbers were so small that I thought it said 50 when I shut it down. So I, right. I didn't charge it. And like, it, it died on me and like, I was actually I was I was quite upset and I have I have two of them. I was in the middle of doing like a fo I was in the, doing a video shoot and I was like, well, I can't ride back home because we're sort of we're trying to achieve something here. So yeah. like, I have this ride that I did uh, that I don't have a record of and it's like it's it's oh, bothering. Wow, that really bothers you, huh? Joel will tell you like there's one like my you know the Garmin two two twenty had this little issue where like they updated where it wouldn't it wouldn't start logging when you hit start uh -huh. um, and like. I actually like so I, I ran the reverse part of the route so that I had the I knew I basically I stopped and restarted it at a specific point and then ran it in reverse mm -hmm. so I had an exact like tally of how much I missed and I entered that in yeah and I said to Joel like I said you know I'm not actually gonna make you give me credit for the 2K that I missed but I just want you to know that I actually ran an extra like you know 2.23 you know kilometers just right. so that you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, he wrote back and was quite, you know, quite entertained. But, entertaining, I mean, yeah. That's very much the way that I am. But, you know, I do think that I've gotten better about, because, I mean, I think what I say is sometimes sort of the more I train with it, the, the, the more I realize, you know, sort of the, the flaws in these various devices. You know, as I've become more, com you know, a better runner, it's like I know when sort of my GPS is, is maybe, you know, it, it doesn't have a great lock or, you know, the clouds or whatever, or if the power meter is behave misbehaving, like, I mean, one thing that I really don't like is uh, when you leave your bike in transition overnight, like that, like it, the big temperature swings there, yeah, are are, are harder on on calibration power meters, and yeah. so tend to be like you start and it tends to be less accurate than if you were say allowed to bring your bike in the morning. Um, you know, there are ways. I mean, all these ones you can kind of sort of calibrate on the fly and stuff, but you know, like being able to sort of get your head away from that I think is good and I think you know some days to sort of not be 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 struck with it but I think you know there's some there's some mixed sort of bag with some of that kind of stuff like it like you can get to you know you you can sort of think like oh I'm having a great day but it's because you know what like you know you're sort of weren't weren't actually you know riding all that hard and I think it's Sometimes, you know, I think it's it sort of, you're just collecting everything together, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I've started using a heart rate strap more just because it's like another piece of, a piece of information. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I think you're just sort of, you're adding all of that add in together. But I think like, for say, like something like those, those big long rides, you know, like, especially something in the mountains and things like that. It's like, I'm not chasing a specific number, but I sort of use those numbers to kind of to kind of keep me honest and uh you know i use them as a i used to really chase like a very specific number but uh i think now uh i sort of just want to be closer into the ballpark but i think there is a there is some value like i remember if, if you guys sort of know this a friend of mine sort of some slow twitch celebrity guy named tom anholt who's a engineer and lives close to me and i, uh -huh. I analyzed some power files of mine and he was looking at uh i had sent him quark files and he said that they were smoother than what he typically saw out of power tap files, but that shouldn't be the case, right? Because you have that drivetrain sort of smooths everything out so that like mm -hmm. the actual changes in torque at the hub are generally less than changes in torque 
you know, at the at the crank. The crank yeah. But I think it's like I had just spent so much time riding, you know, with a power meter and being so focused on the numbers that I had just sort of become kind of smooth. And I mean, I've talked about it. it's funny, like, like I talked about the fact that like I have tried really, really hard, and like my most erratic ride has like for in a race has been like a VI of one point oh four, like. You know, and sort of the, the idea is you want to keep it to 1.05 or less. And it's like, I can't even imagine that. Like, I have some pro cyclists. There's a guy, you know, and people talk about that. And they come and you know, these guys that say cycling backgrounds or other age groupers. And it's like, it's crazy. It's like, I, I have actually tried to sort of exceed that VI and I just can't do it. It's just sort of not in, I mean, some of it I'm sure it's physiological, but some yeah. of it is also in, in your nature. But I mean, it was a real revelation. And I think it's it's funny. I mean, that was the... When I first started with Joel in 2005, he said, you need to get a power meter. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And thankfully, my, my, you know, my parents were, were willing to help me out. <laughs> yeah. But it was a huge revelation for me because all of a sudden I was like, oh, this makes sense. Because it made riding a bike exactly like rowing on the rowing machine. You know, where right. it's like you stare at this number. And, I mean, I had done so much training of just staring at this number. And that's how I knew how to train. And it was like, I remember, I mean, it was just a it was probably the most incredible ascendancy in any sport that I've ever seen sort of the, once I got that, like, it was like, I became like twice as good in a period of like three months because it, all of a sudden I had this, this thing that was like super, that made a lot of sense to me and that I could use. And it's been really valuable. And I think it's also been valuable to sort of get away from it a little bit uh, in terms of just, going out and not checking, you know, sort of not staring at it, but I think just sort of having it as a, as a record. Yeah. It's amazing. The, the way I like to explain when, when I have athletes ask me about whether they should get a power meter or not, I say it's a lot like I had Alan Lim explain it to me in person. So it was very convincing. <laughs> he said, uh, it's a lot like, um, lifting weights, not having a power meter is a lot like lifting weights with no numbers on the weights. You, go from gym to gym or you're lifting things that look heavy but you don't really know how heavy they are so um yeah and i mean i think that's a fair analogy in, in both cases right yeah. it's like th there that is true but then you sort of think back you know like the classic the classic scene that i think we all love right the rocky four scene of of rocky versus ivan drago and rocky is like just lifting this stuff that is that is just heavy right and right. i mean uh and you know, I think that there's there's some truth to that. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that were, you know, one of the big changes that I think Joel encouraged me to get back to that was a real positive was like, I live on a, on a park with a ton of trails. Um, but I had really always been pretty specific, even in terms of hitting numbers for running. Mm -hmm. And Joel was like, no, get back, get back on the trails. He's like, I think that's important for rebuilding. He's like running up hills, running down hills. And oh, you know, yeah. I mean, of all of this, I mean, of all the sort of metrics, normalized graded pace is probably one of the worst yeah. in terms of actually being kind of accurate. I mean, it's okay, but it's not it's not fantastic. And I think it, that was a it was a big part, and I think encouraging me to go back and and sort of be okay doing you know two hour runs at you know kind of five minute k's, but that where you know you're talking about five, six, seven, eight hundred meters of elevation gain. Um, that sort of where it's like. Were you running hard? Yes. Okay, then it's then it's kind of fine. Yeah. So so Joel, you've become I'd like to call him a super coach, <laughs> like a super bike. You've you've, right. you've ascended the ranks to being just a world famous coach. Where did you learn your coaching methods from? Where'd you come up with this? 
I think uh, by being in the right place at the right time, uh, many times over. <laughs> um, you know, re- really, the 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 school where I where I learned um, coaching and 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 really from the athletes, uh, Jordan included, was in Victoria and British Columbia when I moved out there to. I guess to be a, an apprentice coach or, you know, or a development coach. And, and we were fortunate at the time. We had so many great athletes coming through there. I mean, obviously, uh, that was off the back of Simon's win in Sydney. Right. And there was a lot of energy, and he, he was attracting a lot of athletes. And we had so many different people come through and uh, and just kind of learning on my feet. Uh, uh, I was trying to tell this story to somebody the other day, and I was like, you couldn't really uh, – I couldn't really say, you know, go to school, take this course or, or – or, you know, do these certifications or, or anything because I didn't follow any of that path. Um, but but really, I, you know, I I think it's you know a credit to the to the the, the quality of the athletes. I've been fortunate enough to to uh, to either work with or learn from. And um, you know, I, I I often say you know I learn as much from the athletes I'm sure as uh, or more than the, than they do from from me. But yeah, stack enough of those experiences together, and uh, you know, and ho- hopefully it, it 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 comes across as as some wisdom or a, you know some some thoughtfulness as far as you know different approaches working for different athletes, but also what are the commonalities? What are the what are the common features amongst being successful in endurance sport? And and really, you know, I draw upon all of that to also be be a bit of a filter. I, I feel like that's my. My latest, um, you know, mission, if if you like, is, is to try to filter down, um, you know, the complexities that are out there in, in, into what the essentials are. Because uh, although a lot of athletes are attracted to the, you know, the technology or the, you know, the the science or the, you know, behind an endurance sport, but at the same time, it can become confusing or distracting of what's really important. So I often come back to that and. Um, Oh, I love the I love all of this stuff. The science. I look at every file that Jordan uploads and others. We've got you know dozens of co- coming in every week and 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 reflect on all that. But at the same time, also try to to simplify down and to you know to get it to the the core messages. But uh, but but really, any success I've had is a credit to the athletes I've been fortunate enough to work with. Cool. And I want to ask Jordan, and then ask you, Joel. Uh, what Jordan? What's your ideal? training day like uh i mean i think that the i mean i really like for me sort of the most enjoyable is is the is kind of that the, the classic the iron man brick right i mean go and do a big ride and then and then kind of run off the bike and i mean it was like i have a sort of a i mean when i do my favorite one is to go up to towards dan and Fields, which is about an hour and 15 minute drive from me mm-hmm. and do what i call the big loop which is uh Sort of this big, you know, it's it's uh, 92, 93 miles with uh, shade over 10,000 feet of elevation and average elevation. I mean, it's funny because people think about, you don't think about altitude, but the average elevation for that ride is 5,300 feet. Um, oh, and it hits wow. a, a, almost 8,000 feet. And it's like, you know, I remember uh, one time with Ter- Terenzo coming and saying he didn't like training in L.A. because there's no big climbs. And I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> no good to be able to ride from like, two th- you know, there's no... 6,000 foot climbs except the one that's you know an hour drive from where you're staying and he's like what and I mean nobody knows about the San Gabriel Mountains I mean nobody it's crazy um which is in some ways is good in some ways is bad but um 
it's so, it's amazing to ride there, and I love that. I mean, then to you know, if you do that ride and then you run run well off the bike uh, after a ride like that, you know, you know that you're gonna you're 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 ready to to do a big race. So on your way out there, you get up in the morning, you have a nice night sleep the night before, and go to bed early, or or and then you get up and you eat in the car on the way, or or how do you? Yeah, I mean, I usually wake. I mean, I don't wake up too early. I mean, wake up and because it can be cooler up there. I mean, mm-hmm. typically when I'm doing, I mean. Uh, not in August. I mean, I did uh, some days where it was, you know, the average temperature was, I mean, 92 degrees and, you know, high of 105, you know, in the middle of the desert and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, get up at, you know, 6 o'clock, have breakfast and drive up there and try and start, you know, by 10 o'clock and, um, you know, pack a cooler and have some bottles frozen. And uh, you cannot do that ride really well without having a SAG car. So, I mean, I have a friend that will sometimes drive up with me and SAG for me and sometimes Dan SAGs for me and basically throw the cooler in the back of Dan's truck or keep it in the car. And yeah, I mean, and, uh, and then just hit it and I ride it, uh, like Dan's house lives on a little bit of a bluff. And I, I basically ride down that bluff, uh, takes about 30 seconds and then, uh, hit the flats and start riding basically race pace. And it's good. <clears throat> it's good training. I think for that sort of get coming out of the swim and, and get going. And it's, it's funny that I mean, when I won uh, Long Course Worlds in Vegas and the swim was canceled and it was this time trial start and I think a lot of people were thrown by that and I thought, oh, I do this workout all the time where you basically, you, the first pedal stroke is as hard as you can go. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and then you have sort of no warm up, none of that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, I, you know, swims being canceled is a reality. And so, I mean, I think even to some extent, I've now started focusing on doing workouts like that because you want to be prepared in case something like that happens. I mean, I think the reality of, you know, say, even sometimes running, you know, that sort of the reality of, of you know, being able to do a short warm-up and then sort of get going. And, I mean, Joel and I used to even do some kind of, like, duathlon. I haven't done one of those in a long time, but in the past, like, duathlon-style workouts where you'd, say, do a run and then kind of quick transition to a ride and then do a run off the bike. Because all of these things are things that can happen in a race, and, you know, you don't need to do it too often. I mean, if you do like that kind of once every six months, it's it's not such a shock, right? It's like, oh yeah, I've right. re- relatively recently, and I think, you know, I like I like doing those kinds of workouts where it's like it's hot, it's windy. I mean, I like doing those things where I think I'm prepared for something that someone else is maybe not prepared for. Cool. So, Joel, what's what's your ideal coaching day like? Like starting with getting up first thing in the morning. What time do you get up? Uh, usually, I mean, when we're on camp, uh, we, we swim at half seven or eight, um, not any earlier than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess my, when I, when I think of the same question, I think, well, you know, any particular day is not particularly important, but what I, what I like, what I kind of strive for is to get that rhythm and that momentum that flows day to day. Uh And that's how I know when things are going well is one day flows into the next and the athletes are recovering as you'd want and they're able to hit the next session and hit the next session and just rolling like that and you know and you feel that momentum and, and even when you know I'm not seeing Jordan often you know we can I know when he's hitting that momentum and that's what I strive for but on, on camp any given day you know give you like a, a track Tuesday it's a fun day um, we might um, well I don't necessarily go out but the athletes will do a little run in the morning um, 
when they first wake up, um, and then and then we might head to the pool, might might do four k's of, of of speed work usually on a, on a Tuesday. Then they might go for a ride, um, kind of after lunch, and then in the afternoon we'll 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 group up and we'll do uh, a track session. Um, and uh, you know we could have any number of different sessions going on 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 a track session. We could have uh, you know as many as five or six different sessions happening uh, according to each athlete. But but uh, yeah, that's a fun day. It's it's a it's a it's a classic day. I mean we have three three preamble sort of workouts to the main one of the day, and 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 having that uh, come last, it's a it's a fun part of the week. Cool. All right, so Jordan, before we leave, we're, we're getting close to our, the end of our hour here, and I wanted to talk with you about the um, Bicycles for Relief campaign that you're doing. Uh, so World Bicycle Relief is a is a big organization that tries to get bikes successfully, gets tons of bikes to um, third world countries, and um, I think this year you, your goal is 750 bikes. You're trying to yeah. raise for them? It's, it's actually, it's a remarkably small organization that has an amazingly big impact. But yeah, 750 bikes, uh, which is basically to raise uh, just a shade over $100,000, um, which is what I was able to do last year. Yeah. So I've, uh, I started out, I remember the first time I did it in 2009, um, after I won Ironman Canada, I was sort of like, you know, you're gearing up. And I think uh, when I set out to be a, a triathlete, I mean, I think, you know, kind of Early on with, with Joel, it was like I, I thought maybe I wanted to do ITU stuff, and I think uh, you know it was pretty clear that I didn't sort of have the, the physiology or background for that. And I think you know once I sort of settled into being a long course athlete, it was like I'd like to win an Ironman, and then uh, I did that, and then it was like okay, well, well now what? I mean, now what are you, what are you striving for? Um, and I think it was you know I I didn't want to do Kona that year um, because I you know I think that's such a tight turnaround from what the old Ironman Canada date to Kona, and so. I was getting ready to do Arizona, and I mean, it meant, uh, you know, getting up there, and yeah, we were, Jill and I were living in, in Penticton at the time, and, uh, you know, it's like getting cold and all that, and um, I ended up going down to Interbike for an autograph session, which is sort of an oxymoron. If you, you knew Interbike, I mean, mm-hmm. like, one person came to ask for my autograph, and it was a friend of mine who I said, please come ask for my autograph. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, but it was uh, the doing autographs at the, in sort of at this World Bicycle Relief uh table which is they're they're part of a uh, of, of SRAM um yeah and so I got this basically I had this time that I wasn't signing autographs to learn about World Bicycle Relief and I thought that's great mm-hmm. you know and didn't really think much of it and then when I was sort of getting back into training I thought you know what I'd like to do something kind of other than to f- I'd like to focus on something kind of other than than the training and kind of that and I think it would be easier to just sort of go out and, and train and kind of just focus on that if I actually have something else kind of engaging me so i'm not sort of like that kind of idle hands or whatever and yeah. so i said i'd like to do a fundraiser i'd like to try and you know raise enough money to send 100 bikes you know thirteen thousand four hundred dollars the bikes cost 134 dollars each and i think we basically did basically double that that first year like 22 23,000 and it's been going ever since and this is our sixth year and i've raised over three hundred thousand dollars and there's some pretty awesome prizes i mean giving away you know, big stuff, and uh, we're sort of changing up the way that I announce them a little bit, uh, have some kind of bigger prizes even than last year, um, and we're sort of rolling them out kind of one by one, but uh, I do it all through Slow Twitch, where I, I do some work, and you can go just check them out on slowtwitch.com, the, the, you just look for, they're on the right-hand side, and they have kind of a mo- little rap star star, and World Bicycle Relief logo, and a number six, and you can kind of follow through, and uh, 
it's basically $134 earns you a chance to, you know, get your pick at one of the awesome things that we have to give away. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there, and it, and it goes all the ways, right? I mean, some people, I mean, I have some people that are amazingly generous, like guys that, you know, given, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 bikes, wow. you know, and, and they typically win something. But like, I mean, the, the guy who got the, the first prize, uh, you know, I think, last year um you know which was like basically a fully decked out you know shiv uh oh, wow. like twelve thousand dollar bike he yeah. bought he, he gave you know he gave 134 dollars but one oh and so it's like i mean literally it's it's totally random and anyone can win and you know obviously you can increase your odds but uh it, it's not like sort of one of those things where these the, the the items themselves are not tied to how much we raise they're people just raise money and you give as much as you want or as little as you want you have to give 134 dollars to get a chance and uh if you do though you can win some pretty awesome stuff and uh it's a lot of fun and uh i get i get nothing other than good karma out of it and uh the organization is incredibly nimble almost 80 percent of the money that it takes in goes through uh directly into impact which if you know anything about nonprofits, is essentially extraordinary yeah yeah um, they started in 2006 and already they are listed as barons uh, one of the top 25 philanthropies in the world, one of Oprah's top 25. I mean, it's amazing what they do. And uh, yeah, I mean, worldbicyclerelief.org is the website and uh, check slowtwitch.com and you can get some information on my fundraiser and be awesome for those folks that want to support. Yeah, the, the I'm a bike nut. So I remember when I first started hearing about the impact that bicycles can have on third world countries, the, the best example that I, that I saw was... Um, a nurse on foot you know, can can treat like five or ten patients a day or something like that you know at most and the the radius that they can cover is like a a square mile or something and then a, you give a nurse a bicycle and the amount of pe people that he or she can affect just quadruples just with a bicycle because they can cover so much more ground. And with, for example, I mean, the, the latest thing is the Ebola crisis, but there's all kinds of health crises all over, um, all over the place. And a lot of them can be prevented or work helped out with, um, coverage, more nurses to same amount of nurses, but to a heck of a lot more people and a whole lot more education and a bicycle can do it. It's really neat that something so simple can make such a huge impact. Yeah, no, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, they have some of the metrics on, on World Bicycle, you know, relief.org. And, uh, you know, I have sort of the little kind of uh, the carry. I have the carry card actually right in front of me. It's sitting on my desk. Uh, it's uh, the carrying capacity of an individual uh, is increased by five times. Mm -hmm. uh, the distance that someone can travel over equal units of time is uh, is four times. Right. And then the... The last metric, uh, you sort of go five, four, three, and then the last metric is for every ten miles traveled, a bicycle saves three hours of time. So it's five times the capacity, four times the distance, and then for every three hours that you spend moving, um, you know, sorry, for every ten miles you spend moving, it saves you three hours. So yeah. uh, that's, that's amazing. It's, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it is truly amazing. So uh, Joel, what do you have coming up next? Uh, in a little over a week, uh, off to the next or uh, the first squad camp of uh, 2015. So we're off to the Algarve in Portugal for three weeks. Oh, sounds terrible. So, so that that's next. Uh, <laughs> start, starting, uh, I mean, there really is no off season, but uh, uh -huh. the off season is over. So <laughs> yeah. we're getting started. Yeah, yeah I, I recommend people follow you on on Twitter. 
at Joel Filiol. And mm-hmm. um, you post some great picks and some uh, some really good training. Uh, just like you said, like simple uh, motivational kind of training advice to kind of strip things down. And it's nice. Um, and then, uh, Jordan, are you going to be doing Texas this year since it's the North American Championships? I am. I'm doing uh, – I'm, I'm really looking forward to coming back in Texas. And I think, uh, you know, making some of the corrections that uh, didn't make and you know, I think that – having the chance like we did with Arizona to sort of do the ideal build rather than sort of starting in the middle of things and yeah. get back. Uh, you know, I think that was, that was such a fantastic race for me in, in 2012. And I think, uh, I think I can better it, uh, for sure. Cool. Uh, so I'm excited to come back and yeah, I'm going to go try and I'm going to go meet up with Joel at some point in the January, February over in Europe and, and do some hands-on stuff. And then I'm going to do a camp actually at the beginning of April in Texas to sort of lay the course. So feel like, you know, planning out 2015, sort of getting back to that kind of, you know, having, having spent this year rebuilding now sort of focusing on doing that kind of that, that last, you know, 5%, 1% sort of stuff to that. I think will it really makes a difference. It's nice to be able to focus on that again, as opposed to, kind of needing to be totally focused uh, on getting that 99% back under me. Um, I feel like I have it back under me. So Great. Well, I can't wait to see you there. I'm signed up too. It sold out uh, a little bit earlier this year because of the um, the championship, I think. A lot of people are excited to see a really packed pro field there. It's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, Woodlands does a great race. I mean, they love having that race there and put on. I mean, it's an awesome bike. I, I sort of say it's the ideal way to have an Ironman where you have this one huge loop on the bike. So. Uh-huh. You know, you you don't get the traffic, and you don't sort of have the people going over each other. But then you have a three loop run, so that you know you can see, you know, what is typically has been at that race. Uh, generally, mm-hmm. quite a lot of uh, excitement on the run course. So. Yeah, I I did it. Uh, I think the year that you won, I did it, and you, um, I saw you running the other way, and I was like, I don't know who that is, <laughs> because I was delirious, I think, and uh, I was like, but that guy is winning. And uh, then later, I found out it was you. You look great. It was really good run so yeah i mean that was one of like people say is iron man hard and i say typically except that day in texas yeah every other iron man i had done has been hard except you you looked like you were just jogging but at the same time the uh your your speed while you were just jogging was nuts it was crazy it was amazing yeah to see the goal is to get back to feeling like that, and I yeah. think if I feel like that again, I think I'll go even faster. That's for sure. Oh, cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Brett. Check my brain. Check my brain. Bam. How was that? Holy cow, what a great interview. I'd like to give a big shout out to Jordan and Joel for coming on to the show and giving us their time together on opposite ends of the world there, almost opposites, and they uh, spending time telling us all about how they get it done. So cool. So you can follow up more with Jordan Rapp at blog.rapstar.com, and Rapp is R-A-P-P, Jordan Rapp. And he's also at Rapstar on Twitter, R-A-P-P-S-T-A-R. He posts lots of cool stuff. Lots of pictures of barns out on his bike ride. It's pretty cool. And then we have Joel Filiol. And you spell his last name F-I-L-L-I-O-L. Joel Filiol. 
www.joelfilio.com and also Joel Filio on Twitter. And like I said, he posts some great pictures on Twitter with lots of inspirational stuff mixed in. Uh, he's always training pros at camps, so you get to see what it really looks like with the top pointy end of the field really kicking butt out there. All right, let's go ahead and do some triathlon news and productivity tips and all kinds of good stuff brought to us by Amrita Bars. So let's switch over to my little Amrita notes. I went for a great bike ride yesterday and also this morning fueled on just the best by eating Amrita Bars. What I do is I eat about a a quarter of the bar, like a fourth of the bar every once in a while. And that just keeps my stomach just busy enough uh, to keep it happy. And then I'll sip on Gatorade and water. And it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So that's a great way to do your Amrita bars. And you can get 15% off Amrita bars with discount code ZEN, all caps, Z-E-N, by going to amritahealthfoods.com. AmritaHealthFoods.com, A-M-R-I-T-A. Also, consider getting some of their triathlon and running and, and cycling uh, kit, their socks, their jerseys, all that stuff. It looks awesome, and you really do stand out. You feel like a pro wearing this stuff. It's really cool. It's black with uh, a mix-in of some really bright colors that make you look sharp. So, again, 15% off, discount code ZEN. Go check them out. All right, let's get back to the news and more. First thing that you ought to check out is DC Rainmaker did a review of all the training apps out there for indoor training on the bike. I probably use them for running too, some of them, um, on his blog. He does these insane write-ups that it would take me a year plus to write up a a blog post as long as this. If you think my Iron Man, uh, Iron Baby, uh, posts with all the photos and stuff are long. This, these are nuts and you need it because he goes into detail describing every little nuance bit and comparison charts, all stuff between the different software packages for training and how they connect to your trainer or, uh, if they can modify the resistance on, on your bike and, uh, if they can do feedback with your power meter and back and forth, it's nuts, absolutely nuts. So you got to go check that out. And then also tier which in the United States, a lot of us call it TYR. If you didn't know, Tyr, I think, is a Nordic god of the water or something. But anyway, uh, TYR, Tyr, introed a new ankle strap. So we were talking about this, um, all this upper body work in the pool by tying off your ankles. And uh, this is an ankle strap that's Really, it's a block of foam with slots to slide your ankles in. So it's both an ankle strap and an ankle float at the same time. So I wonder what Joel would have to say about whether or not this is a good thing. (laughs) You want your feet to drag. But anyway, it looks kind of cool. It's black with a big tear stamped across it. Um, it It might work. If you see one, give it a try. And if you like it, keep it. All right. Also, I had... A request from Read Write Run on Twitter. Let me let me pull it up. She was asking. I always assume it's a she. You know, I actually don't know. <laughs> after all these years, she's a uh, she or he is a big fan of the show. I'll I'll, I'll learn after all this. Um, read Eat Write Read Eat Write Run. Sorry, sent me uh, tweets and eventually an email of trying to figure out how to take how to figure out the elevation profile percentage wise what's the percentage grade uh, 
on a run course. And uh, she knows my background in uh, mapping and computer programming and stuff and said, hey, I'll pay you to build something. And I said, I'm not going to build something that's already out there. Go check it out. And so I wanted to tell everybody about this cool trick. You can go to map my run and probably map my bike and then draw a course on the map and then it will generate an elevation graph below the map. And if it doesn't, there's a little bar down there where you can tap it and say elevation. Boom. This does an elevation graph. Then when you're done doing that, there's a uh, button next to that or the words next to it. And you click on those and it says... Uh, the words say show elevation with grades. You click on that and it changes the graph to show the percentage grade on the elevation graph, right? So it'll say 6% grade for this long, 3% grade over here, negative 4% grade, 1% grade, 0% grade, you know, things like that all across it. It is awesome for figuring out about what you're going to get into out there or also when somebody says, man, this was so hilly, and then you can uh, say, well, where was this? And then draw it out, and it's really quick, too. And then you get a uh, percentage grade, and it's like 3% grade. You're like, 3% grade? <laughs> I thought you said it was 10% grade. It says here it's only 3% grade. So anyway, it's a lot of fun, and it's a really good planning tool and also a post-workout evaluation tool. So check that out. Again, map my run create route, and then elevation bar beneath the map, and then show elevation with grades. Okay, um, since we had Jordan on the show, I thought I'd mention that I tweeted him, gosh, maybe before I did the Iron Baby, and said, hey, um, your fueling plan, because he works with a fueling sponsor, and he's posted his fueling plans for races before, because that's how the sponsor likes it. Um, he'll He's posted it before, but I couldn't remember where he posted it, and I don't think anybody's asked him in a little while. So I asked him, asked him, and he said, uh, well, what I asked him was, hey, do you eat fat during your races or not? And he said, no. And he might have said, or I read this somewhere else, there's no proof that, that eating fat during a workout actually gives you energy. Um, it probably does. Uh, the Amrita bars have a little bit of fat in them from the from the seeds in it, and I think it, it works great for me. But he said, "No, not really. Um, all carbs all the time <laughs> on the uh, on the bike ride." And but anyway, I thought I'd pass that along that uh, Jordan does uh, lots of fat. He said before the race, so you can do that. I did this before the Iron Baby. I mentioned it mentioned it on a previous show that I woke up and had either. Um, full fat milk or I had coconut milk, I can't remember, with cereal and then bagels and was dipping the bagels in coconut oil. What happens is, is your body, supposedly, your body um, sees fat coming in and it goes, hey, I'm going to need to burn fat for a while because that's what I'm getting for fuel at the moment. And you do it in a low stress environment, like getting ready for the Ironman, not actually during the Ironman. When you're exercising, you do it well before and you load up the body with this stuff. So, just take that in consideration. And then also I wanted to mention that um, an interview with AJ Balco that I did uh, a couple shows ago, you can hear me talk about the, uh, well, we're talking about fueling and, uh, oh, we're talking about heart rate training 
And I went out for a ride this morning and had a really great ride. And I wanted to share a training tip with you. One thing to focus on, you can focus on uh, power, like watts or speed or whatever. And um, people say, well, if you focus on heart rate, you're, you're not really focusing on the work. You're focusing on the, your body's reaction to the work. But that's not entirely a bad thing. You can do something really interesting. If you know that, in my, for me, I know that if I stay around 140 beats per minute, I'm operating very happily. And that actually I could train and race targeting that heart rate and then and my perceived exertion and make sure that they match up. So I was riding today and I was noticed my I noticed my heart rate started climbing a little bit too high and I said, "Oh, let's back it off a little bit." Not trying to push any watts or anything like that or back off the watts. I was like, "This it's kind of like not the RPM gauge on your on your car, but the temperature gauge on your car." And if you your heart rate, if it goes too high, it's like your engine's running too hot. And if it goes too low, well, your engine's running too cold. And if you know what it takes to make your engine run at the right temperature for the distance that you're going, so let's say it's a sprint, you're going to run at a higher heart rate. You're going to run your body at a higher heart rate than if it's an Ironman, right? But if you know what causes your heart rate to go up and down and, and you know the direction that you want it to go and you know what different feelings mean, you can actually train really well and have really great performances this way. So yeah, my heart rate was getting a little bit too high. So I was like, we'll back off the effort a little bit. And then um, at, at the beginning, it was kind of low. So I was like, well, you can try a little bit harder. Um, and pour a little bit more carbs and water on this and uh, make your engine run a little bit hotter. And I ended up having one of my best rides for an hour. I just rode for an hour um, that I've had with an average of, I think it was 256 watts average. That included my warm up of like stopping at a couple stoplights and stuff. Three stoplights, four stoplights. Um, my best average uh, for, a, uh, for a long well, for an hour ride and a re- just a really great result. And I stayed right in the right heart rate based on, you know, knowing what my body could do and what felt right. So think about that. All right, I'm back. Sorry, I have, <laughs> I've changed locations. You can probably tell by the audio. I have uh, three boy nephews over at my house right now and for the entire weekend and I got asked to go outside and throw football with them for a little bit so I went outside and did that I said hey I gotta go back in and finish this podcast and also I had uh, I woke up and went into to the guest bathroom uh, yesterday morning Saturday morning and my four-year-old nephew was standing there naked except he had a toy lightsaber a giant freaking lightsaber in his hand and he was hitting things with it so the adventures of having a four-year-old around the house never stop okay um, I should mention that if you are new to this podcast and haven't listened to some recent episodes, um, we have lots of pro interviews over the years and even uh, uh, phenomenal coaches like Phil Maffetone. Um, recent shows include Angela Nath and Hilary Biscay and AJ Balco. So you just go back a few episodes on zentrathon.com and you can go check those out. Okay. Let me get back to, so, so the uh, training by uh, heart rate, again, 
the end result is to have your body feel great and what you should be doing is training um, putting in the inputs the variables to make your body feel great and because that's people say you know heart rate is just a is a re, your body's reaction well yeah I mean in a way that's kind of what you're looking for so there's nothing wrong with training by by heart rate and um, big thanks to AJ Balco it's kind of inspiring thinking about that on this morning's ride um, yeah so let's see also I have a bit of news about this app that I found. It's called Focus at Will. I might have mentioned it last show, um, but if I if you haven't heard of it, you ought to check it out. It's an app that plays music that you can choose uh, the type of music you want to listen to, and it's really good for blocking out noise and then focusing on work. It's getting a lot of rave reviews. It's Focus and then the at sign Will, all one word, Focus at Will, and I think mine, the one I, the type of music that I like is um, Focus Spa is what it's called. And it's kind of some, some, most often an Asian or an Indian influence. And it's really cool. They have a, they have a music category in there for people with ADD and it sounds like jackhammers and death metal. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. So go and check that out. And then I've got a couple of things to think about while you're out training. I was listening to an old classic, Tony Robbins, a motivational speaker guy, who's a lot of his motivational speaking stuff is actually based in in pragmatic sound advice and science. And he's got a saying that is really great. It's actually a Zen saying. It's uh, when you can't, you must. And that's actually the same as a Zen saying, the path is through. And that means that when you think that you actually can't do something, that's when you ought to do it most of all. That is the thing that you need to accomplish. I was just listening to a podcast this morning with a Zen master lecturing a class and he was answering questions and he kept saying, kind of like a kid saying, why, why, why to this one lady who was talking about her problem. And then she said, well, when I do this, I can't do, I can't sit and focus on this one thing. And he said, okay, well, that's, that's your work. (laughs) That's what you need to focus on. And that was like 10 layers deep into uh, her problems. And so basically, yeah, when you can't, when you think you can't do something, you ought to really strongly think about that that's actually the thing that you need to work on the most. And in in Zen, that is, uh, the path is through. So when something blocks your way, that's the thing that you must work on uh, getting through and spend all your attention on getting through that. That's your weakest link to work on. And then also, I came across a one of these, you know, when people tweet or Instagram photos of sayings because the saying is too big to put into a um, into a tweet because it's, it's more than 140 characters. Um, this one wasn't, but it was still photoed and Instagram nonetheless. And it was a saying that says, uh, work on your own dreams or you'll end up working on building the dreams of others. And that means that you're either working on your own projects and getting your own stuff done. And if you're not paying attention and you slack off or you think that the world's going to serve everything you want to you automatically, which it doesn't, you're going to end up being at the, um, the, the beck and, and will of other people and having to build their stuff for them on their schedule 
and you'll be frustrated because your life is no longer in your control. So work on your own dreams or you'll end up working on building the dreams of others. Okay, let's read some donations. So you can support Zen in the Art of Triathlon. If you found anything on this show really useful and you want to give back all the years, 10 years of putting out podcasts and you feel like Hey, this is a great this is a great show. I want to keep it on the air. There's such an easy way, several easy ways to keep the show going. Uh, one is just a straight up donation on the left side of Zen and Yard of Triathlon, zentriathlon.com. You can go over there and donate by PayPal and there's two ways. You can either set up a recurring subscription for less than 4 bucks a month. It's like 3.95. It's about a dollar an episode which is great. Super easy way to do it. Have tons of people donating like that over time. And then also that same button allows you just to do a one-time donation if you want. And if you do, and you send a email to me, I will actually answer your question on the air. So let's go through some donations real quick. We've got James Godak, Brian Kemper, and Jason Drury, and Todd Nelson, and then we got more. Hold on, I got another list. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't, I don't get any of these twice. Um, Greg Beliles. Oh, and he's got a question. So let's go ahead and read it. First off, huge fan of the show. Your podcast have got me through numerous workouts and car rides. Thank you for always sharing your wisdom and experiences through training and racing. Things in Alabama are going well. I'm in graduate school for healthcare administration at UAB. My mom went to UAB a good school and accepted a position in Phoenix, Arizona that starts in July. Well, those both have mountains, but otherwise those are two completely different places. <laughs> Very different from each other. Good luck. Um, I tried to get into Ironman Arizona the other day, but registration sold out on site. Yeah, that sucked. He says, bummer. Um, I've done a couple of Ironman races, including Ironman Texas in 2013 and was looking to get back into it in 2015. So I'm trying to, just, to decide whether or not to sign up for Tahoe but that course looks pretty intimidating. Okay, so Tahoe is totally a doable course. You just got to ask yourself, are you in for an adventure? That's my opinion on it. Okay, instead of just a race, you want an adventure where your time doesn't matter at all. It's the fact that you actually did that thing. And the whole the whole way, you're going to be like, wow, look at the views. This is so amazing. Okay, Anyway, I did have a question for you if you have a chance to answer. I'm currently training for my first standalone marathon in February but really wanted to improve my bike for this upcoming tri-season, Chattanooga 70.3 in May. Do you think I can get away with training easy for the marathon and doing a 40K bike build on Trainer Road? That's the indoor training stuff, which is reviewed in the DC Rainmaker article that you ought to talk got to check out, dcrainmaker.com. Um, or should I just wait until after this marathon to really start ramping up the bike training? No, don't wait. Um, thanks again for everything, and I look forward to hearing hearing back from you soon. This is what you need to do. Okay. Train like you would for your marathon. And then on occasion, when you can't stand it anymore, go out and do a hard bike day. And by hard, I mean climb hills and uh, don't make them crazy. Just make them so your legs burn and do intervals uphill. And that will build your legs up to keep them nice and strong. Because if you go out and do long stuff and lots of volume, it's going to make you too tired to do your marathon training. Um, but if you do hill work on the bike, um, that will make it so that when you get back to full-time biking or triathlon training, your bike legs will not only not be worse, they might be better. And then the thing to watch out for, though, is to not 
only do it on rare occasion because it will compromise your uh, running. So what you do is you do it maybe instead of a hard run or um, you space out after a hard run, you do that. And when you know you're going to be running easy for a long time, then you can do one of those uh, hard bike rides. And we're talking, you know, 30 minutes total, maybe 20 minutes total of, go- it depends on your skills, of uh, climbing hard to make the legs burn and then uh, recovering and then doing it again and again for like 20, 30 minutes total for a workout. And with lots of rest in between to recover. Okay, Owen Barwell, Simon Wright, John R. Taylor, William Beck, Tyler Wilkie, Joseph Rogalski. What's up, Joe? And Han Chu. Hey, Brett. He's got. He's sending a letter. Just want to check in. Finally, your long format podcasts have been a joy to absorb during my weekly long drives out of town for work. You've kept me company for many, many months, and it was time I gave back for the value you have given me. Just a little bit about myself. I live in Jakarta, Indonesia, where it's always hot and humid. I'm your typical middle of the packer for marathons and triathlons, but I'm always looking for ways to improve my performance. Your recent podcast about polarized training sat very well with me. And I had included that sort of training into my latest marathon in October. With that training, I improved my time by an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. From a 5.20 marathon to a 4.06. I am convinced this style of training works. Oh, by the way, Han, um, Joseph Rogalski, who I happen to coach, he just, I've been training him with polarized training for a while now, and he just went and ran a half marathon yesterday and killed it like absolutely destroyed it and he said he was so happy with the results so yeah it's a good club you're in these you polarized folks um, i admire how you managed to fit in the training and balance it with your family and all your charity work i'm always looking forward or i'm looking forward to hear more about hear more from you about how you balance everything in your podcast or perhaps even out of the podcast this will apply greatly for me as i prepare this training season for 70.3 in vietnam this coming May. Stay focused on my work and remain involved in my family. Take care. You know, it's crazy how much the world changes. Um, when I was born, my dad was had just left Vietnam <laughs> as a soldier over there. And now we're doing half Ironmans over there. It's nuts. Um, everything changes. So don't get too fixated on things being the way they are. Things change fast, actually. So, um, yeah, so I've mentioned I mentioned on the last show I'm going to start doing productivity tips and such and how to get things done and like I've already started covering in this show and last show and um, also I'm going to do uh, productivity coaching about how to get everything done and uh, the next show is an interview with a productivity expert I've already interviewed him and and uh, got that in the in the queue ready to put out there it's like half an hour or so with Eric J Fisher who is a big deal in the business. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Jonathan Woodman sent in a donation and Connor Sanders. Let's see. Oh, I got a little bit more news. Um, Challenge Knoxville. Uh, So in in Knoxville, yeah, Challenge is putting on a 70.3. That will be the regional championships for the Challenge series of races which is pretty cool. I've always said they need to have a championship, something for people to be signing up for 
and to be racing each other for something even bigger than the race that they're at and that gets more people hooked in and really enjoying it okay let's see if we got anything else got to wrap up with any sponsor info hey one way to stay productive is to keep organized which is actually really hard to do and let's see hold on all right i'm back i had to find all that stuff i'd organized away a couple more sponsors new republic brewery at new republic beer on twitter give them a shout out and say you're a fan because you've uh, been following them on uh, zentry and also let's see oh ultra baby news this is big news if you are a um new to the show. Um, I'm going to do, every year I do a self-supported Ironman. It's a big deal. It's the last episode. You can check it out. I do it um, for March of Dime stuff. And we do open water swim and the full 112 mile bike ride and then the full marathon. And it's really cool. Self-supported. Other people come to do it with me. And next year we're doing an Ultraman distance self-supported triathlon that's a three-day stage race it's a really big deal i've already got a whole bunch of people that are threatening to come and do it (laughs) i say threatening (laughs) and it is going to be a blast and i just left the grocery store about an hour ago a couple hours ago and ran into one of my original triathlon coaches who is 70 years old and when i told him he's done i don't know 20 ironmans or something like that and when i told him that i was doing this he said Send me the information. I want to come do it. This guy's a machine, and he is great. You can tell he's an Iron Man because his shopping cart was full of Gatorade. <laughs> and um, he's a machine on the bike, and it's great. So I'm really inspired to have uh, Doug possibly come and do it as well. And yes, this is for real, an Ultraman distance race. And we might even make it a mile longer just for kicks. Self-supported. Well, you get a crew. You have to bring a crew with you of like one or two people and six miles open water swim, uh, 6.2, 10K open water swim on day one, followed by a 90 mile bike ride. That's day one. You got 12 hours to finish. And then day two is, I believe, either 170 or 190, I think it's 170 mile bike ride. And then we have such great cycling around here. We've got the perfect lake for the swim. And then day three is a double marathon, 52 mile and change uh, run. And yes, we are really doing it. It's a big deal. I got clearance from the family. It is really happening. And if you finish the whole thing, you get a belt buckle and everybody gets t-shirts and all that good stuff. So you can say that you did the ultra baby here in Texas. Wow, I'm so I'm so excited about that. I've been out training and just thinking about it nonstop. It's really motivational to be trying something that's going to be. It's both really tough, but you get a, you get to take a break every night and then start over again in the morning. So we'll see how how hard it actually is. It'll make a great podcast too. All right, Sunto is also a sponsor of the show. They got the Ambit Three out there. That's all Bluetooth, super cool, and also Hornet Juice. On the right side of the page, if you go to zentrathlon.com and check out the right side, Hornet Juice is an amino acid packet that lasts an hour and a half when you add it to your fuel. Um, Joseph Rogalski, who I was just talking about, when he sent me an email of his training, uh, of his race review for where he just crushed it out there. I think he got second in his age group. Let me pull it up while we while we talk about it because he mentioned Hornet Juice in there. He said that stuff is insane. It actually really works. So Hornet Juice comes from... 
the lab. It is synthetic Japanese killer hornet saliva. The Japanese killer hornet is the strongest and longest flying creature out there for its body weight, what it can do for its body weight, and it fuels itself. There it is. It fuels itself with um, by metabolizing body fat, and that's what it does. That's what hornet juice does. It's uh, the same chemicals. It's a it's an amino acid mix that enables your body to start burning body fat, and it gives you just crazy solid energy um, hour after hour after hour because it's coming from body fat. It's really crazy. Let's see if you put it in here. Oh no, it's in it's in Training Peaks. Let me see. Oh, if you're interested in being coaching, coached by me, let me know. I'm just about full. In fact, I might be full. And kind of depends on what you want to do. And here it is. Here's this half marathon. I coach everybody using training peaks. And like Joel and Jordan say, lots of the same workouts over and over and over again. And we watch for growth. And we watch to what makes you improve. It's really cool. I love coaching people. I was a certified USAT coach for a few years, and um, I let it go because I was not learning anything through the certification process anymore. All right. First half, let's see. First, this is Joe's um, review. Uh, Felt awesome. Negative split the back half. This is a half marathon. It felt like a good run, a good hard run, not dying. Um, This is results from polarized training as well, which is the way I train people. Uh, Hills were not an issue at all. Just missed my PR, but the course was a tad short. Oh, okay. So finished second and won my age. He finished second overall and won my age group. Smiley face. (laughs) Holy crap. That's hard to do, man. And a half marathon? Um, First half really felt like uh, I was just out trotting around and I kicked into gear on the back. Uh, Last couple of miles were hard. I tried to run by feel and HR. Uh, Goal on the flats. Okay, so that's personal stuff here. (laughs) Uh, Nine miles in, he let it rip. Um, By the way, the Hornet Juice rocks. Three exclamation points. I can't believe how good I felt. So that's a result of polarized training too. Uh, Joe travels a lot and um, he's always flying places and doing stuff. And um, this style of training is, is really good for people that... Um, by um, fortune of their of their schedule, um, have to take uh, breaks between working out because they're on the move. So works out great. All right, thanks, Joe, for letting me read that out. I'm sure he's really proud of himself. I'm proud of you, man. Okay, so that's it for this episode. I want everybody to stay safe out there. Let me check and make sure we haven't missed any sponsor stuff. Yeah, so you can get Hornet Juice on the right side of the. Oh, that's what I need to say. On the right side of the blog, zentrathlon.com. Get yourself some Hornet juice. When you get it, you actually get a personal email from me asking how you're doing, and I might even read it. I usually do read it on the show. So get you some, and it'll help support the podcast. All all proceeds from that go to supporting Zentry. Okay, so everybody stay safe out there. See you next episode. Work the uphills and cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down. Out. Out.